0: Hello, and welcome to episode 105 of The Weekly. It's seventh week, and we have a lot of news to talk about from the past week. My name is Greg, I'll be your host, and I'm joined by William. Jake. Carter. And Problem. Okay, so to start off with, I'd like to give a shameless plug for the special report podcast that we posted on Friday. It's an interview with Cameron Powell from the Writing Faculty United attempting to unionize. And if you haven't listened to it yet, be sure to check it out. So how has everyone's week been? It's been an eventful week. Which we'll get into that soon, but Yeah,
1: I have my last midterm,
2: like ever. So I'm
1: very excited. Well Congratulations. nice.
2: Let's go, Carter. I had my last two midterms of this quarter. A little bit less of a milestone, but <laughs> putting them behind me for the rest of the year is a good thing. I'm looking forward to finishing the spring out strong.
3: My nice. last one's tomorrow. Ah, <laughs> fun. I mean, I'm looking forward. This quarter treated me very well with midterms. I had one, um, which was really nice, and, and um, one midterm paper as well. So, yeah. Um, but this past week, I don't know. It just felt harder than normal for some reason. Just a lot of work. Like, just grunt work, I feel. Yeah.
4: I suppose maybe the weather had something to do with it, because we, we sort of got a false sense of nice weather earlier on and mm-hmm. went back to sort of pre-early like
2: early winter. or forecast is looking like are we gonna get a real spring coming up
3: this week is supposed to be somewhat cloudy until wednesday um i remember seeing that because i'm trying to like book like a headshot like outside for Mm. you know because i need a new one and it is so tough because chicago just doesn't want to give us some a good sunny cloudless day um yeah what's up with the weather kind of like can the like some of the trees like on the midway haven't even blossomed yet it's it's, yeah it's like a
0: very oh I can't use that word. It's very crappy sequel to Winter. it's what it feels like. It's not actually Winter. It's just. No. Uh, it's Chicago. And
3: that's the weather do those. this thing where it becomes nice again? You know, just. Uh.
0: And also the quad is under
4: construction. Does anyone know what that's about? I think I do. I, I saw them taking out. This is actually good news. It seems like because I saw them taking out um, like the, the the squares. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like putting new ones in, so it might yeah. be it might be good for like the the puddle problems that um that many chicago students have complained about uh but the great lakes
3: of the quad (laughs) miss them that's a good one
4: yeah yeah i uh hopefully hopefully something good comes out of it yeah Um, but yeah i was at the quad i was on the quad this morning it was was beautiful i just wonder what the ducks are thinking now yeah like they
3: must be so confused with all these fences on the quad and just the lack of space just must be really confused yeah all right so let's get into it so First story of the
0: day is on—I'm uh, sure you've, most of you have heard about this. So the reg was evacuated, in, and shelter-in-place orders were put in place across the university last Tuesday after police received reports of an armed person on campus around 7.20 p.m. Beginning around that time, multiple social media posts then appeared, claiming that there was a person with a firearm in the Regenstein Library and that the University of Chicago Police Department was evacuating the library. Around 7.56, the Maroon received reports that police officers carrying rifles evacuated Hutchinson Commons, and multiple sources confirmed to the Maroon that Kathy and Woodlawn Dining Commons were placed under a shelter-in-place order as well. Individuals were not allowed to leave Woodlawn until around 8.30 p.m. after the all-clear was given. The alert was resided at around 8.17 p.m. after police searched the buildings and found no sign of a threat. The full story is up on the Maroon's website and was reported by the
2: Maroon staff. So I was actually in the reg when all of this was happening. I was in the A-level, and I was on my way out of the A-level to go to Hutch with some friends. And as we were walking up those stairs to get to the first floor of the reg, um, a couple armored police officers were walking down the stairs, and they asked me if there had been any shooting down in the A-level, if there was anyone with a rifle, and we said no. Like, nothing had been happening down there, nothing had been happening at all. Um, and we just went on our way. But as we were leaving, we saw that a lot of officers were, like, at that moment converging on the reg, um, and that they were telling people to go, and, you know, people were getting up, grabbing their things. Um, that, that was just about 7.15. We went to Hutch. We were there for maybe, like, 40 minutes, and then only then did they evacuate Hutch. And it was funny, too, as this was happening, like, gradually get notifications in different places that, like, things had <laughs> happened, like... <laughs> People were getting texts over the, like, C-Alert system, but I wasn't getting the text. I was getting emails, but the emails came through, like, 12 minutes after the texts.
3: Yeah, the C-Alert system is really weird. I was in Saya Hall, and I remember seeing, like, a bunch of blue lights outside of the window, and I was like, oh, you know, something happened. Uh, but I didn't think, you know, it, nowhere in my mind did I think, oh, there's, like, a shooting alert a shooting threat. You know, I ended up leaving Saya Hall, and I actually was going to the reg, and I saw a bunch of police at the reg. And... Um, this was kind of like 10, 15 minutes kind of after yeah. like this whole thing started. Um, so I saw the police at the wreck, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to handle this. I, I, I've had a long enough week. Um, you know, I'm just going to go back to my room and study in my room. And it was only when I got to my room that I got the notification from the C Alert system. Um, so I think the police did a really good job, you know, at, at protecting you Chicago students, or um, you know, during this threat. But the C Alert system, I think, just failed miserably. You, know, you have people, like you said, text messages, emails, even the app notifications. You know, I, I, did, I learned more about the situation from side chat than I did um,
1: C alert. How much did I first through side chat? I don't even have side chat, but the person next to me had side chat. Uh, how, how much the is that,
3: Endowment again? <laughs> uh, I, right now, we're at $10.3 billion. We did lose some um, some last year because of, of, of the conditions of the markets. But, uh, you know, you'd expect with a $10.3
2: billion endowment,
3: this alert system to work well. But, you know, safety yeah. and security.
2: It is it is hard to coordinate some of these things, though. And they're interesting questions around what your messaging should be when there are things that are up in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on Slack channels for the Maroon. I was telling people what I'd seen. Others chimed in with their information. Um by, like, 7.30 or so, someone on the Maroon Slack said that they'd spoken with police officers who said that they thought this was most likely a prank. It was most likely a false alarm. Probably nothing had been wrong. But at, I think, like, 7.40, we all got the email that said, shooting. Like, that was the subject line, shooting. Exactly. Which, yeah, you know, I is bet. distressing. I think I think in this case, that was probably unnecessary distress, but it's hard to know exactly what the right tone to take is when you're not sure that nothing happened. Like they, I mean, the officers were pretty right. sure at that point, but... Yeah. You know, if, if you undersell the threat, that's, like, a very serious issue. Yeah, because
1: the C-alert, all it said is police activity around the area of Regenstein Library, avoid the area. It didn't say, you know, why the police were active. I mean, the title subject message, the subject yeah, line the subject the was email shooting. was shooting. That might not have come I through over oh, yeah. text, yeah. text, which now. is actually interesting, because that's, like, a
2: tangibly different message that exactly, you're getting yeah. between yeah. those two things. Because, like, the subject line is shooting. When I got the notification... Not, yeah. Yeah my notification said shooting. I was like, oh, Yeah, cool. some friends of mine had known that I was at the reg and they texted me, like, just heard that there was a shooting, like, are yeah. you all right? Like, did anything happen? And there was no I kid. should have texted people at the uh, reg, but I just sort of looked at it and it was like, uh, I
1: I could never go to the reg. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of sad though, because this situation,
3: while I was scared, I also kind of like knew like getting into a corner like, where I can hide, where they can't see me from the door. You know, just you know, seems like that that we were taught in, like, school, you know, rather unfortunately. I feel like this this culture of guns, you know, here has just become so prevalent. And, and now that, it, you know, you see it in our own lives with this. You know, this that's a really event, good point. It I, was really, yeah. I
0: feel like I've become desensitized to exactly. it. Exactly. Because all throughout, I yeah. guess, you know, high school and really middle school, actually, you know, we did all of these lockdown drills. Um, and I was on the third floor... I had no idea what was going on until somebody shouted, you know, we got to get out or something. And then they, you know, the police swarmed in with their rifles drawn in. And then I went outside and then I was like reporting in the Slack channel, just like, here's what's going on. And it looked like people were just standing around in Mansueto. I don't know if they actually evacuated it.
2: Um, One friend of mine who was in Mansueto said that they were just like there for another 20, 30 minutes after. At some point, like a cop ducked in, saw no one was shooting, left. And only later did they evacuate. I I don't know if I can one hundred percent confirm that, but that is what I heard. That's the nice thing
4: about Mansueto. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I asked. I asked my friend Aaron. Like, so you didn't like notice anything. You didn't like see all the cop cars. And He was like, Nah. I was I was working on my P set. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's
2: a very U, Chicago response.
3: It
0: is. It is. And I feel like uh, I feel like I heard some people like a desire to go back in, even as this was going on. People were like. Bouncing around libraries, like uh, where can I get in? Where can I do my work?
3: I did go to my house lounge, and people were talking about like when is the library gonna reopen? Because like I need to get back. Like I have a piece I do tonight. My professor sent us a Canvas message saying like things I still do, <laughs> you know, things like that. You know, so yeah. um yeah, I, I, it's, yeah, that was a very it was a very U Chicago
0: moment, I think. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's move on to the next story. Will is reporting on divestment.
3: Yes. Divest U Chicago, a coalition of the Phoenix Sustainability Initiative and the Environmental Justice Task Force, held a divestable rally demanding that U Chicago divest our endowment from fossil fuels on April 21st. The coalition also called on the university to make its investment decisions transparent and to include students, faculty, staff, alumni, and community members in the process of determining how the university's endowment is invested. Divestable was attended by over 200 protesters, according to the Environmental Justice Task Force, The rally began on the quad and continued to the reg. Throughout the two-hour march, protesters played drums and chanted, We won't rest till you divest as well as people and planet over profit. According to a press release sent out the day before the rally, um, divesting Chicago's primary goal is to follow the example of peer institutions such as Harvard University and Columbia, as well as the city of Chicago, in divesting from fossil fuels. In its decision to invest in fossil fuels, the university has historically invoked the 1967 Calvin Report, which was written by a faculty committee and states the school's commitment to political neutrality. The event garnered an additional 100 signatures for divest to Chicago's petition, reaching over 1,700 signatures as of April 24th. This story was first reported on by Nina Pristontaman, um, and you can read more about this on the Maroons website. You know, this might be a hotter take um, on college campuses, but I think the divestment movement is, you know, rather sad to see. Um, I just don't, I'm not someone who tends to believe in divestment. I think there is greater power in shareholder advocacy. I think there could have been a really strong movement to, you know, force a lot of different companies to reform their practices, their environmental practices through shareholder advocacy. I mean, imagine what a coalition between Harvard, Columbia, Chicago, and other schools would look like um, if they came together and kind of pledged their votes, because, you know, as a shareholder, you have votes in most companies, and sometimes, you know, you can... You know, mess around with that. But, um, you know, you do have votes, you do have a say. At the end of the day, you do have an ownership stake in the company. Um, and you could use that to do some pretty impactful things. Um, you know, there are tons of examples where shareholder advocacy has been used to change and reform companies. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Um, yeah.
4: I feel like the reason they don't do that is because it seems to me like Divacy Chicago is a very, like, ground up type of organization and they don't want to be like sort of um like they don't want like larger bureaucratic movements to be i guess like get in the way of their goal i don't know that very well but that's yeah i mean there's multiple strategies that you can they can go about to like kind of kill the fossil
3: fuel industry if if that's that if that's one's goal but also the way that divestment has kind of happened it hasn't happened all at once you know, if it happened all at once and everybody's just selling off and, you know, you're dropping the prices of, of, of different shares in, in like BP and Exxon Mobil and so forth, like, yeah, that would be painful. Um, but the way that divestment is happening is like, oh, one institution is divesting, another institution is divesting, and they're like setting out these ultra long divestment runways, um, you know, where they're not dropping share prices at all. Um, and also, you know, the way that the stock market works to divest and sell, someone else has to buy. Um, you know, and I'm pretty sure companies like BlackRock and Vanguard are buying, and <laughs> I don't yeah. think they care much about the environment. Um, so, yeah, I I just wish there was a better way to go about divestment on college campuses because I think, you know, when you have funds the size of UChicago's $10.3 billion, Harvard's, you know, God knows how many billions they have at this point. Um, you could do a lot of good using shareholder advocacy or just simply selling off in in unison.
0: All right, with that, we'll go to Carter.
1: Well, sure. Um, We have an update on Scav. Scav is back. Um, The famous UChicago scavenger hunt, considered one of the largest in the world, will begin when the official list is released at 11.59 p.m. on this upcoming Wednesday, May 3rd. If you haven't joined a team yet, don't worry. You can see all currently registered teams on the official Scav website or register your own. The hunt will last four days, ending the night of Saturday, May 7th. The only item on the list I know of in advance is donating blood. UChicago Medicine is holding a blood drive that individuals can sign up for, also on the official SCAF website, and it's my understanding the teams with members that donate blood will get points. As for the rest of the challenges, it's impossible to know what they'll ask for in advance. Um, But last year, which was for unknown reasons, set in the year 2014, I remember one task was to run into the admissions building in futuristic attire, ask what year it was, proceed to scream in distress, and leave. Uh, The admissions office was not amused. I know that one year also a a challenge was to get a flag on the North Pole. Many have involved getting recognition from high-profile figures, uh, making complex and often working miniature or full-size structures, or even procuring items that are decades or sometimes centuries old. Whatever they are this year, I can't wait to see what people will do, but from afar because tragically I'll be out of town this weekend and I'll miss Scav. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing it all, and I hope all you listeners out there will remember to look for the list release Wednesday at 11.59pm.
4: Yeah, Scav is a lot of fun. Um, I participated in a couple events last year because uh, I make music with my friends and we, and some of them are, are in Snitchcock and yeah, you know, the Snitchcock team is massive. They have a huge alumni network. It's a little sad for the other teams because they just take <laughs> students from like other dorms and suck them into their giant empire. <laughs> uh, but that was me last year. It might be me again this year, though. Now I'm I'm kind of on the South Scav team, and I, I have to figure out where my loyalties lie as far as the the music the music items on the list are concerned. Uh, but. I'm I'm very excited to see what uh, what the uh, what the judges come up with and what the list makers come up with, and yeah, hopefully hopefully it doesn't derail everything too much. But I'm excited for a little chaos. I'm very excited for SCAV. This is my first
3: SCAV. Um, I I'm just really looking forward. I remember in you know, the whole admissions process and the whole quirky U Chicago. You know, kind of rhetoric that they spew. Um, you know, SCAB was a big part of that. We have the world's largest scavenger hunt, so I'm, I'm looking forward to taking part. Um, this seems fun. You know, yeah. That's maybe a, build a nuclear reactor. I don't know. You know that was is, one. That
1: was yeah. one year. They get expelled for that. The lists are available on the website. You can go to their archives and see the prior lists. They're sometimes difficult to read because part of the spirit of SCAB is is just utter chaos. Um, so. Oftentimes, for example, the point system are not exactly rational numbers. Um, but
2: <laughs> they use irrational numbers,
1: and sometimes not numbers at all. Wow. I, it's, I don't know how the, the point system gets adjudicated at the end, but um, they they have a, a method on. So when it ends on Saturday, they'll have on Sunday. All all the judges will um will will determine who the winners are. Um. And yeah, it's it's very interesting though to read the list and see a lot of the prior examples. They are pretty insane. Some of them are manageable, but some of them are simply not until somehow a team figures
2: out to do it anyway. I did look at the list last year. It's just very esoteric. All of it. Yes, it's, it's pretty out there. Uh, exactly. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck hunting. <laughs> uh, yes. You have a good
4: imagination. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, you do need to have a good imagination because it is very clear the organizers do. <laughs> So you you mentioned the, the alumni network for Snitchcock. How does that work? Do alums like come back and help out? What uh, happens? They do.
4: Yeah, I guess yeah. they do. Yeah, the the like once the list comes out, they they probably have like a big list host or something where they send the list through it and, and like probably put all like all the items on like a Google spreadsheet and then people like you know if you if you have an alumni who uh, like an alum an alum who lives in like a certain part of the world where you can like get something. Um, like they had an alum who lived in Brazil last year or something, and they needed something from Brazil, so they got it shipped here or something. Um. What, DHL overnight. <laughs> uh,
3: <laughs>
4: it's also like lots of money involved. There's lots of money being
1: thrown around. Yes, um, the team that needed to get uh, a flag to the to the North Pole did get it. So, <laughs> yeah, they they have some very impressive accomplishments. Um, and yeah, you can be an alumni. I don't even know if you have to have attended the University of Chicago. Yeah. I think it's open to anyone. Every year um, there's. You can join, and many people do come in from, from all over. Every year there's, uh, there's a team from
4: Washington University in St. Louis of grad students that just do SCAV. Good for um, them. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Good for know them for know. real. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they do, but I, I just, I've just heard that they exist, and that's, mm. that's, a, great, that's a great fact. Great thing to know. Well, oh, all right, next, for our next story, we'll go to you, Pravon. Yes, the recent election of Brandon Johnson as mayor could spell danger for ShotSpotter, a company whose technology detects gunshots and alerts law enforcement when, they, when such gunshots occur. The service has run into several controversies, such as its role in the fatal shooting of 13-year-old Adam Toledo by CPD in Chicago's Little Village neighborhood in 2021, but also over general doubts of its effectiveness, accuracy, and equity, which have been echoed by a Chicago inspector general's report two years ago. The Lightfoot administration renewed their contract with ShotSpotter last October, but it's set to expire this year, and Johnson is very clear about his plans to abolish the deal. Since Johnson's election, the company's shares have dropped by 25%, and it has rebranded itself as Sound Thinking in order to distance itself from its past image. This article is from the Southside Weekly, and is part of a series of, up- of short updates about the state of Walmarts in Chicago and the Democratic National Convention, which will be hosted here in McCormick Place.
3: is a really interesting story. You know, when it comes to things like safety and security, I find that they're really touchy topics. But one of the things that I find really important in, in ensuring, you know, safe and secure neighborhoods is, you know, the involvement of, of sound tech, uh, technology. Um, and if the technology isn't working, there's, there's no need for a city, especially the city like uh, like Chicago, that is financially not in the best place um,
4: to, to be spending on it. So, you know,
3: I would like to see kind of, you know, how it plays out with Brandon Johnson.
4: Yeah, it, it it's interesting. I uh, well, I don't, I don't know exactly how the technology works, but I know that it's it basically they sell it out to different police departments all around the country. Yeah. Houston has it. Um, I forget what other cities have it, but uh, they and and then apparently the the cities, the people who are in charge of sort of like greenlighting these deals, mm. um, don't look deeply into whether they're effective or not. They're just are like, oh, this, this could help. We'll sign it. Um, maybe there's a little bit more going on behind the curtain. But yeah, it, it just seems like there's there's either there's like not enough information going around or it's just like you don't like you don't know like how, how effective this is going to be. And uh, people are just maybe too optimistic about um, about the the potential outcomes of this program. And the other thing is is obviously that uh a lot of these detectors are put in minority uh, majority minority neighborhoods, and thus like more reports come in that direction uh and that that's also another can of worms so oh, yeah
3: yeah
4: yeah like m- as far as like predictions, it doesn't look like they're gonna well it it looks like Chicago's not gonna have it anymore, but uh, it seems like they were very like um like, all all their changes have happened after the Chicago election. So it looks like Chicago is, like, a main source of, of income or, like, maybe, like, just cloud for them. And I don't know how they're going to go forward if they don't have Chicago as, like, a market.
3: Yeah, I wonder how many, you know, shootings it has stopped. It, it seems like a very, you know, I, I'm losing my words right now. Um, it doesn't seem preventative, you know, it, it, the name spot" it just makes it sound, seem like, you know, oh, it notifies the police after, you know, a shooting happens. And I think we need to start focusing on preventative crime tactics, you mm-hmm. know, possibly longer school days, you know, funding extracurricular activities, you know, jobs, job creation. But That seems too rational for too many politicians.
0: For our next story, we'll go to Jake.
2: So every year, many universities fill out the Common Data Set, an annual survey jointly administered by the College Board, US News World Report, and Petersons. The Common Data Set, or CDS, is meant to standardize data reporting among colleges and universities. And in the past, UChicago has declined to fill it out, which makes it unique among the top nation's top twenty universities. Only UChicago and Columbia had never filled it out before this year, but this year, both of those schools actually chose to, with this recently released CDS, including data from the 2021-22 school year. There are many sections to the CDS, which you can find online without much difficulty. One section asks UChicago how much it weighs different factors for admissions purposes, and asks to uh, UChicago to rank them as um, important, very important, not considered, or considered. UChicago ranked basically all factors as considered, with nothing coming under the important or very important category, and the only thing that wasn't considered being interviews, which the university doesn't conduct with um, potential admitted students. It's interesting that the university placed every factor in the exact same category, and it makes me wonder how seriously they were taking this process. One part of the CDS that the university failed to fill out was the information regarding how many students are waitlisted, how many are accepted from the waitlist, and how many are accepted through the binding early decision routes. This report was based on an article by Justin Walgren for the Chicago Maroon, which is available on the Maroon's website.
4: Do you, do you know like, what caused the change? Like, why, why suddenly now both UChicago or UChicago and Columbia together are, like, suddenly deciding to fill it out this year, or...?
2: Uh, their comms person, Gerald Bixwigan, didn't really clarify why they okay. decided to do it. They just said that they'd reevaluated and figured out that maybe they should fill it out this year. But they did leave out a lot of yeah. information of significance. Like I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I imagine that they probably don't value GPA, test scores, class rank, like uh, legacy status, underrepresented minority status. Like I feel like they probably don't weigh all those things like completely equally. But mm-hmm. they sort of glazed over that. They didn't tell us what their ED acceptance rate is. It's sort of an open secret here that um, the ED acceptance rate is a lot higher than the regular decision acceptance rate. Um, Yeah. I don't know, did any of you guys get an ED? What what were your thoughts on that? Mine was really action.
1: Yeah.
3: I was an RD admin.
2: Me too.
1: ED too.
0: It's just really weird to me
3: that it just seems so sudden. And they're doing it with Columbia? I I I don't like CDSs in general, though. Because I feel like when it comes to like college admissions, especially students who like really want to get into schools like U Chicago and Harvard and Columbia and all these other places, they start looking at the CDS, combing through it like, oh, I need to craft my application because they weigh the, you know, essay part heavier and they don't weigh this part heavier. And, you know, it, I just find it uh, CDS is another way to kind of help gamify this college admissions process. And I, I, I just don't, like, CDSs. I also think it introduces another layer of stress onto students, you know, having that data at their fingertips and doing the math and, like, oh, 6% acceptance rate, blah, 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 blah. You know, just things like that, are really, I really, I just think not, I'm not helpful. I'm generally you know? a
2: fan of, like, having, you know, information on all these schools you can access in one place, but I think you should consider it and be aware that, like, just because a university says something is very important or doesn't, doesn't mean that... It, it isn't necessarily going to be accurate data I and mean, you should yeah. consider how the university might be crafting their answers to these questions but there's there is like hard data here that's that's you know they can get something out of in terms of what the acceptance rate is um, and all that it, interestingly the acceptance rate for men is like almost two percentage points higher than it is for women at U Chicago that's something that you can find in the common data set there were um, about 20, about 3,000 less applica- applications for men, but they accepted about 50 more men hmm. for whatever reason. Fascinating. <laughs> there's just one data point.
1: Yes, a friend of mine was talking about that recently, that at many universities, the, the, I think the national average is somewhere around 58% women, and sorry, 52% women, 48% men. Um, and at the University of Chicago, it is flipped um, that there's more men than women. Um, I, I don't know if that has anything to, to do with this admissions decision uh, in particular, but it is an interesting note.
2: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's interesting because it's not like, you know, we get more applications from women like most schools, I imagine, according to this. Um, but for whatever reason, I don't know, their preferences, flip it.
3: Admissions is weird. It's a weird, weird process. A horrible process, in my opinion. All right. Now on to something,
0: I was going to say more lighthearted, but...
3: Uh... Well, why don't you
0: tell us about the traffic (laughs) report?
3: Yes, um, so the Maroon received an open letter to the university's Department of Safety and Security on traffic safety from an alumni, Stephen Lucy, um, who earned their AB in 2006. The article um, begins off uh, kind of going on about how the safety flags and signs at several crossings across the university are just, you know, not good and... And just not up to par. Uh, and what the letter does is really advocates for, you know, more, in my in my opinion, common sense. Um, you know, built environment changes that slow down drivers uh, and does not pl- blame pedestrians. Um, you know, there was a very interesting line, or a very funny line, also a very important line in this open letter, which is, "I am embarrassed and disappointed in my alma mater." You know, I, even alumni are frustrated, you know, with with how Chicago is treating, you know, its road safety and pedestrian safety. Um, but not just Chicago, because you know, the city of Chicago also has somewhat of a say in this as well, a lot of a say in this. Um, and we do need to stop prioritizing automobile traffic through, you know, walkable urban campuses like our own and begin prioritizing pedestrians because, you know, the midway, not safe. A lot of crossing is not safe what will it take for the university to take effective action uh, a student death i think so you know people you know the thing that i hate about um you know pedestrian safety and you know kind of de-driverizing the world is that you know cities towns institutions they only do it after someone dies or after someone gets so injured you know it, it really is just annoying um because putting students' lives at risk. I mean, you know, just the other day, I think I was walking with Carter, um, you know, on the Midway, and cars were just, like, flying by. It looked like they were on a runway trying to take off. <laughs> um, you know, there's just something, you know, I've seen cars go through the red lights there. Um, and at the end of the day, I think, you know, while the Midway served a really important purpose in the World's Fair um, and, you know, over time, it has it has served its purpose to to vehicles. I think that time is over, and it's time to begin pedestrianizing um, the midway and stop making it so efficient for cars. I also, yeah, you know, there's a lot of points on campus where I think that it's just time to kind of change change how we how we view those spaces. The built environment matters. Um, yeah, I mean, why is parking free on the midway as well? That's another you know can of worms that I can go into, but yeah.
1: Listeners, you have not seen passion until you have seen Will talk about pedestrian safety in the midst of bad pedestrian safety.
3: It's, it's so, da- <laughs> it is so dangerous. It is so dangerous. You have cars that are, you know, clocking like 45, 50, 55 miles per hour on the midway, you know, speeding while there's crossings where students are supposed to be crossing. Um, you know, these are these are the lives of, of, of young people who are, who are just beginning. The, it doesn't even matter what stage of life they're in. You know, every life has a value to it, you know, and, and, and the fact that a car can just take it away in, in a matter of seconds you know, on the midway, you know, a student who is just at university, you know, that, that's just, there really is something wrong with, with the whole situation on the midway. And also, the, the no parking zones, that one is another one that really gets me riled up. Um, you know a lot of the, the public safety vehicles and the UCPD vehicles parking in the no parking zones right in front of crossings you cannot see the traffic that's oncoming the traffic cannot see you because there's these gigantic SUVs blocking the view um it's just just you know stop breaking the law you know the, you, there's a no parking zone stop parking there you know you're the ones enforcing the law so stop parking in the no parking zones you know you protect you know protect pedestrians it's just you know also um you know where um, you're gonna say something. Oh, I was. I can go on about this. Please <laughs> interrupt me. By all
4: means. I I guess I was just gonna say that the the midway is also like a public park. So the the fact that uh, I guess like there are children there all a lot of the time. Children are yeah. crossing the midway. Like
2: we have the lab school right there. The
4: lab schools are right mm-hmm. there, um, and I think that's the original purpose of the semi flags that all got stolen. Uh, by you know university students,
3: <laughs> this but, multiple reports that so this semi floods are just total utter nonsense.
4: Yeah, um, but uh, like I think the the way a uh, way you could you could sort of slow down the cars in the in on the Midway would also potentially increase the like the usefulness of of like the Midway as a as a park as like an area where people can come and play and potentially like I mean this would be a lot but sort of. Making it a, uh, making it like a two way instead of two like separate one ways. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know. I, I don't really know much about urban planning, but I feel like a lot needs to happen with the midway. Yeah, it it could be it could be, it could be a solution that could benefit everyone. I
3: think Chicago just has a fascination with putting roads in the middle of parks. Have you guys ever been to Millennium Park? Yes. Yeah. You, know, oh, you yeah. Just walk through Millennium Park. Is a road, you know, midway road, you know. <laughs> Lakeshore Drive Road. So we could talk about this all day. <laughs> I say we close
0: out. All yes, right. we should close out. Thanks for tuning in, guys. My name's Greg. William. I'm Jake. I'm Carter. And I'm Provin. And we'll see you next week.